Hello, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer, this time not on mute. I'm one half <laughs> of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games, and I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. Um, yes, a peek inside of how everything goes. Jess is usually really spot on, but we were record we were talking before we started recording that we both have been incredibly busy the past few weeks and just started talking while muted. Um, which happens because I've I've muted myself on many occasions too. And I and I'm sure our guest has. I'm Craig Campbell, I'm Nerdburger Games guy. Our guest is here. Uh, Evan, hello, Evan. Have you accidentally muted yourself for an extended period of time? God, I, I hope not, but it's 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 okay because I'm <laughs> great fans of our two hosts, Jess and Craig. I'm Evan Torner. I I uh am a co-editor at Analog Game Studies and and publish a number of other uh, small LARPs and whatnot. So that's that's me, but I'm I'm really excited for today's topic. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. And we do, we have a really big topic. And it's something we've touched on before. We've done smaller segments on it before on this podcast. And it is starting a new campaign. And uh, I'm excited to get into this with Evan and Craig. Um, Craig, do you want to give it a longer intro or do you want to just like pop right into it? I think that starting a campaign is, you know, when you think about like a movie, you've got pre-productions, you know, writing the script, pre-production, all the stuff that starts happening before the story actually starts to become a real thing. And that's what we're dealing with. Like starting a campaign gets an episode on a podcast like ours or other podcasts or streams. And there's, there's so much that can be part of it. Don't get me wrong. You can take a game, you can just slap, you know, slam it down on the table, get a bunch of people, start playing. Um, with minimal prep, but for those people who really want to spend some time in pre-production, as it were, that's what this topic is about. That's what today's going to be about. Yeah. So Evan, um, tell us a little bit about why you chose this topic and uh, your initial thoughts. Well, uh, campaigns to me are, you know, almost they're not even media, they're relationships, right? You know, starting a campaign is like starting a relationship and uh, or, and I'll, I'll say this much, when you when you're starting a campaign, you're often starting it not with people you don't know, but people you you do know, or you want to get to know them better. And and so this is like the kind of pervert Clausewitz. This is a continuation of your relationship by other means, and uh, that first means the devil itself scheduling. Uh, scheduling <laughs> is literally the basis of all pan, uh, you know, pre-campaign planning. Uh, trying to make sure that we are all compatible schedule-wise, and then and then and then diving into it. And actually, I think once you 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 say, ah, we can schedule something together, then then you sort of sit and say, uh, the four or five or six of us are now going to create something very special together. You know, over the course of these these special the, the, these these different slots. And and that's where the pre-production really begins with me. But scheduling is like the the can I get the financing sort of aspect of the film? Like, you know, <laughs> will will we be able to actually do this? And then if so, then cool. Now we're we're going to all of us are go going to become, in my opinion, a lot closer through this thing. Yeah. And hopefully it's a commitment from these people to to join with you on this for a longer extended period of time. And a campaign doesn't have to be that long. But what you want is a group of people who are dedicated and say that they'll do it and then they'll do it. So whether that's um, agreeing like this is the day, the week that we're going to do or agreeing that we are going to find that one day every two weeks that we're going to run our game. I think that's so that's so, so important. and. I like also that you said 
it's people that you already know or people that you want to get to know better. Uh, I don't think starting a campaign with a bunch of strangers, I don't know if that's ever worked out for me. Um, and I wouldn't try it again in the future. I, if I'm going to play with a game with a bunch of strangers, either I'm joining somebody's already like, you know, their gaming group that's already like there and I'm ready to like join in and like be part of that. And I'm making that personal commitment or I, um, I'm just doing one shot with those strangers. I'm not going to try to waste a bunch of time making something really, really cool, making something long lasting, putting a lot of effort into it for on the hopes of, I don't know, could be could be a house built on sand. Who knows? Uh, yeah, that's, I'm kind of in the same place. I found myself thinking about when I moved to Atlanta and I first started kind of trying to put together, uh, you know, a gaming situation. And it was it, it was comprised of start joining, you know, trying to join groups that had already been established and then just finding the right fit, which took a little while. Or uh, the, the closest I came to, like starting a campaign with strangers, I had one friend. There was everybody else was new in strangers, but one of the people was like my friend that I knew when I was moving here. And uh, so, yeah, I, I came close close to starting a camp and it became like a long you know long running DD campaign with these people and we rotated a couple of people in and out but it did happen but uh to speak to evan's comment about how it's you know you're starting up this relationship with these people or building upon an existing relationship and you're doing it in such a way that um like with like with any relationship and with and the scheduling of course is part of that is you're you're coming in with like an expectation of what this is going to be and making ideally making that clear with everybody what the expectation is is going to be now every group runs into their different problems with that sort of thing and every group has different like things that they'll let slide and that they're okay with because of um people's life situations and everything but like you know if you um and most of the people in the group if you're all thinking like this is going to be something that we're going to really prioritize in our life we're going to think about like every two weeks this is the thing this this trumps everything Unless like there's an emergency or something very important comes up or whatever. And and having that expectation, I think on the table is important because I have been in campaigns where the per there was a person who like enjoyed coming and playing the game and they had this character that turned out to, you know, kind of so slowly became sort of pivotal and had a lot of story arc and a lot of, you know, their, their, their story, their character was important to some, some plot points. Um, and they never really got to the point of like prioritizing the campaign that they, they would, they would bow out at the drop of a hat, it seemed. Um, and maybe that was my misunderstanding of the situation, but maybe that's really what it was, was that they just weren't ready to prioritize for it. And if you, of course, if you have a group that where everybody's a little more lax than, than Craig is, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. You know, like we've talked about situations where somebody, somebody wants to be part of the campaign and they know they're going to have to miss here and there and they come up with some sort of in-game reason that their character drops in and out of the story easily or the GM doesn't take the, you know, doesn't make that character like a kind of must be there sort of character for, for long periods of time, or they can, they can must be there for a particular episode where, you know, a session where we know this player's definitely going to be able to be there. And now we can have a great big moment for their character and a plot point and blah, blah, blah. But I think establishing all of that early before the campaign gets going so that you don't get halfway through the campaign and suddenly realize, Hey, you know, Bob is never here. Um, and we all kind of expected Bob to be here. And I'm not pointing my fingers at my friend, Bob, if you're listening to this. It's just my generic name that I use sometimes uh, when I'm talking about generic gamers. <laughs> I, I really agree with you because the kind of campaigns that I like to play in, the kind of campaigns that I like to run, I like to tie in a lot of the character backgrounds. There's a reason I ask for the backgrounds. I want to make them feel like they're part of this world. I want to impact their characters emotionally, get them tied in. And if 
and what that ends up meaning is that sometimes a character's reaction is integral to the part of the plot I want to get in. It's like if you were watching a TV series and one of the seasons was all about like, oh, this season's all about Fitzsimmons, my two favorite characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then the the actor playing Fitz has to go make a World War II movie where there are monsters in it. This is real life. And then they kind of write him <laughs> out of the story for a while. Like, then they're gone. Like, you have to put the effort into re- writing that character out of the story and maybe completely changing your plans. If it happened in the middle of, like, if that actor decided, like, in the middle of a season, oh, I'm just going to leave. Like, that would not fly. That would be, like, a, probably a breach of their contract. I'm not saying that you had to have a contract with your players or anything, of course. <laughs> It puts extra stress on me as the GM, puts extra stress on the players, and it makes me, like, worry about, like, oh, if I'm trying to do this really cool thing for your character, is it going to pay off for everybody? Because otherwise, why would I, why would I do that? Why would I waste that time if you're just not even going to show up? It's sad to me. There is a social contract that's, that kind of, that's what we're getting at, too. So there is, there, you know, it's not a signature contract, but. Like, yeah, agreement all the way around and and the social contract of the group and when you're expecting to play and we're kind of expecting people to be there. Uh, I, I think we've almost made it 15 minutes in without mentioning the main vocabulary word related to how to start a campaign, which is <laughs> session zero. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now I'm, I'm mentioning the word session zero, which is, again, um, why, why do we call, even call it session zero? Well, well, it used to be in the old wargaming days that you would... Um, come over to someone's house and they would have character sheets out and they would tell you roll up a character and you would have your books in front of you and you would roll up the character and take about half the the scheduled play session and then you just play right and um and and again player a let's say bob you know <laughs> w- 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 wants to kill the goblin village and player b wants to talk to the goblin village and player c wants to avoid the goblin village entirely and 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 already you you get like sort of the classic dungeons and dragons incoherence campaign and of course like that was kind of fun when we were high school students but when i'm older i'm like i, I actually think we can all agree on what sort of story we're going to tell that's what the session zero is for it's really for us to all get on the same page relatively and and also i get to, to reinforce Jess's point your characters are important they mm-hmm. determine the themes of the campaign and so it's very good to like like widely and loudly broadcast at the very beginning before you even start to play what is it that you want to deal with through this character and full stop right and 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 you don't have to to pre-script everything but to some degree if if you say i, I could take someone from my prism campaign where we're, we're running you know, mer- queer mermaids in the in, in the in, in the Pleasure Island. That's literally the campaign. Uh, one of one of them is a singer who has who's dying from you know this infection, right? Which is written into, of course, the the game materials, and and that you're basically playing like a cancer plot. And first of all, everyone needs to be on board with that at the table. And if that's the case, then you're already drawing on a rich body of fiction of people who are, you know, decadent artists uh, uh, slowly dying. They may even not die in the course of the campaign. That's the beauty of this form. We can even 
say this is this is not the end necessarily unless that's something we want to have happen but we're going to arc towards that and that's going to be pleasurable for that player because that's what they chose to do so uh really your characters are the center of the campaign and session zero is going to be about how can we make this the characters the center how the campaign is going to be about them and also how are the players going to be comfortable with what will come out potentially from that It's it's a tricky dance Yes, that's exactly it. If you want a character-centered campaign, which is what people who are coming out of watching Critical Role or other kinds of actual plays like that, those are character-centered campaigns. They're not plot-centered, necessarily plot-centered campaigns. Uh, If you want that, we need the characters there. It is tricky. It's so tricky. And I love that you, you brought in like some of those safety tools too, because when you're creating your background, I love creating a character together with my players in person or like I, I have not really had a lot of success running online campaigns in my experience with this. It's just, um, although I did do this online as well, like we're coming up with the ideas for our characters together. We're bouncing ideas off of each other. And we have a whole like either part of the session or a whole like time we would normally spend gaming together sitting around and saying like, oh, I have this great idea. Like, oh, maybe, maybe like we knew each other from before or like, oh, you have this, you have, your character has this disease. Maybe I know someone who lost a friend because of that as well. Like you can start bouncing all these ideas off of each other, make sure that nobody's character backgrounds cross anybody's lines, cross any other veils or any of the other avoid, like topics to avoid uh, from the other players. And it also like you as a GM get to sit there and take furious evil notes on everybody's (laughs) life. Yeah, th- those notes are really, really important. And not just um, the don't do this, but the do do this. So mm-hmm. I, I once, um, right right when we were starting a, I think it was a Swashbucklers of the Seven Skies, Air Pirates, right? Sort of sort of campaign. I thought, okay, well, I, I asked the, the players point blank, what is it about like Sky Pirates that you like? And they said, oh, like totally we want, you know, like uh, death defying like leaps across like ships and we want um you know uh, villain teams that are named and that they all have their like special shtick and and we we definitely uh, also want like you know uh, uh behemoth sky monsters that'll come up from the depths and i literally just ticked these off and said okay cool i've got my notes for what to plan Right. And so you literally, you literally, you know, begin to say, how can I script specific situations? Like, first of all, you're saying to your players, I'm taking you seriously. Right. So if you say you want something, I'm going to give it to you. And if it's if it's not quite the thing you expected, it's also because I'm a person, too. And I'm, I'm you know, pushing with my own energy on the concept that you're providing. But I'm definitely going to deliver that thing that you asked for. And it, it seems like such a simple gesture, but it, it makes all of your players feel seen. <laughs> and and also, if they're building a character for a specific purpose, and that purpose is already articulated, I, my character is good at swords. I want to be able to be leap around and hit you with a sword. Uh, then then they they can also um, you know do well in the scenario. Though of course, like the drama will be well. How how does how does the character not quite get everything they want? Right. So obviously you're, you're not providing a, what we call a Monty Hall campaign where you just give players everything, but the players will signal to, you, signal to you the kind of expectations that they're coming in with. And you can fulfill them pretty easily if you just listen. 
Oh, you're hitting on one of the things that I love the most about being a jam, which is like that balance you have between being a writer and being an audience member. Like I love, I love like watching a dramatic TV show. I don't want to know like how the characters are going to react, but I do kind of want to have an idea of like, I also like to script out plot points like, oh, this would be so cool if this happened this way. Like that's the best that's the best for me. I just having a little bit of control, but also like getting to be like, Ooh, how are they going to handle it? Like, yay, what are we going to do next? Love that. <laughs> and you get the, the opportunity and this kind of speaks to what both of you are talking about. You get the opportunity to hear what the players are, are looking for. You can plan to give that stuff to them. And if, if there are, and like Evan said, if like, I'm a, I'm a person too, and I want to see a little something, um, and I want to uh, also, I, I want to see something develop and I want to surprise the players in some ways. So just like literally giving the players the specific thing that they're asking for kind of like, you know, in measured dose, it's like, okay, well, I checked that box for, you know, okay, every three sessions, they're going to get this kind of an encounter because that's what they want, but it can be presented in a different way. It can be like a, that encounter can come out of different way, come out of, you know, different uh, pathways that, that get you to it. Um, so that each time when it does happen, it's not just like they feel like, oh, it's, you know, it's time for that. Um, but it feels like they're, it's getting there organically. It's getting there in different ways. Like, you know, just taking Evan's example of like the death defying jumping from ship to ship sort of stuff. Um, you could have that be, okay, you know, it's a combat between you and another band of sky pirates a couple of times. And then the characters find themselves entering a contest where there's like physical you know competitions and the competitions are doing those sorts of things so they're still getting to a chance to do that and they're getting to show off their character skills for doing those sorts of things but then their rewards are also going to be different and it came as kind of a surprise that they're going to get to do that thing they asked for but kind of in a different backdrop i i also like to throw in the wrench like oh maybe you don't actually want to do this right now maybe they mention like oh yeah you know I used to have a normal life with a normal family and now I'm a spy, I'm a sky pirate. And now you're like, they're all ready to board this other pirate ship. They're ready to go. And the captain of that ship is your husband that you abandoned for this life of sky piratry. And you can, <laughs> now that can be your favorite NPC to play this debonair, like slick talking husband who's like, Oh no, you don't want to like, we have a, we have a, we have a, a history together uh, you certainly don't want to board my ship now. Maybe he's going to double cross them. Maybe not. But now this uh, provides you with like different forks in the road, different avenues for them to take. Maybe they do decide like, oh, yeah, I abandoned this life for a reason. I'm we're going to we're going to eventually take this ship or maybe they go a different path with it. Maybe they join that ship. Maybe it causes a split with with the party. We could have a little bit of uh, inter-party rivalry. There's like lots of stuff you could do that forces them to choose options that they might not expect and then it doesn't feel like again like evan said i love that the idea of a money hall campaign like it doesn't give you that because there's no way to have it both ways you can't have your cake and eat it too you can't have the goat and also the car i i think the the um interesting thing too that how you guys are bringing up the just the death defying leaps between two ships trope which we're sort of doubling down on is how that trope right that sort of express like like common uh literary device or or role-playing device can express different themes, right? So Craig's is is as a theme of competition, right? Pirates are are um, kind of at, at each other's throats. With Jess's example, we have uh, uh, the, the exact same maneuver is now, you know, um, a complicated 
gesture, you know, between the family you left and the family you you now are part of. And and you know, I when I when I think about it, I'm think, oh, it's kind of the vertigo of the freedom that you get in, in adventure. It's both, you know, and and so we now have the same trope, but actually depending on the themes of your campaign, it's going to express itself differently. So when we're talking about the quote unquote themes of your campaign, first of all, the characters are the ones who keep the themes to them, right? They're the ones who express them. If if of course the, the game master has their own they like they don't have a character, but they've got the world and everything else. So they're also expressing their themes. And somewhere you're going to meet in the middle. So obviously, like you know, if it, all four characters have something, and the and the game master has a fifth thing, that's fine. You can all live with that. But but know that the fifth thing is going to be intervening in the you know tropes and the themes of all the other four and and so uh there there's there's a way where you know when people sit down and say what what are the themes of the campaign at like a session zero then then you kind of have to you know dig deep in yourself and say well and especially if you're the game master are you going to meet the players exactly where they are with their characters or are you going to have another fifth thing or a sorry another um another agenda that then they're they're kind of pull, being pulled into and and of course you can even openly ask ask uh the players find a reason to to care about this right you it, do, it doesn't matter what it is but your characters will find a reason to care about this thing that i care about and at the same time the players say oh i refuse that then then you're at a moment of negotiation right where you can actually uh, you know, say this, this is what I'm prioritizing or this is I'm prioritizing, right? Campaigns are a relationship. So sometimes you have to have those discussions saying, well, my story is, is it has this, this kind of arc to it. And I don't know, do your characters want to dial into that? Or do we want to just make it about your characters? And some of the time that works out and some of the time organically, uh, you've got your own plans. You see the characters intensely are pursuing their own and you just sort of abandon yours. You're like, it's fine. It's fine. Let's let's see what you guys are doing. And that often is more interesting, but it can also feel like failure. I'm sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, no. I think it really plays into the idea too that there are like different expressions and, and like how themes are interpreted. There's a whole There's a whole reason why there's so many different essays on books, like on the same book people interpreting it in different ways even though you have presented a theme one way a character is gonna interpret it and the player themselves is going to interpret it in a completely different way and maybe like they're refusing that call like like if you had a campaign that was all about like you wanted it to be about the idea of achieving divinity and all of the players are like not on about that maybe it's about the refusal to do that maybe it is about Maybe you can pivot and now it's not about that. Like all these NPCs are trying to achieve divinity and you guys are trying to hold on to your humanity or like fighting for humanity. Maybe you're even anti-divinity, like whatever that ends up being. You can pivot and still kind of express the themes that you wanted just through the eyes of the character versus like your world as a foil even. Um, I don't know if it would work out so well if they're like not even on the same plane of existence um like not even close to each other but hopefully that's something you kind of iron out during during session zero i i do like saying like find a find a reason to care about this i think gives them a nice hook with which to make their characters and i find myself thinking too like 
when when you're developing all of this, the players are coming up with thematic things they want to see happen. They're coming up with goals uh, and uh, you know wishes for their characters, and you as the GM are coming up with like little things that you want to kind of sprinkle in there. You can almost like before the campaign begins, create like a matrix of like how do these different things interact with each other? How they how might they interact with each other? If Evan's character has goal X and Jess's character has goal Y, how can I use one of the things that I want to have in the game to allow them both to pursue those two goals in like a big cool moment that allows them both to have their characters develop and 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 have them have have this great moment and perhaps you know attain their goal or come a step closer to attaining their goal or whatever and you can have these like and this is all part of this like this is starting the campaign and you can always revisit this too you can kind of tweak for it down the road as things um change but you know you could have all these pieces all these like different ideas about how these things could inter uh, interact with one another prepped out before you start playing the games themselves during the session zero and in the, like the week or two leading up to the first game and then just keep it handy and while you're in the, you know, if you find yourself in a position where you have to improvise um, something, you might suddenly be sparked by one of these ideas that you that you wrote down. It's like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to introduce the characters to this situation that I wanted to see happen in the game. And here's how both Evan and Jess's character can have, you know, goal pursuing moments in that thing. And now I, you know, it's like it's almost like you're not, you know, designing the whole scene or encounter, but you're like. You know, you're you're prepping the idea and just setting it aside and getting ready to to drop it in when you want to. It's not terribly different from like those. You're except you're doing it yourself. It's not terribly different from like. There's all sorts of products out there that people put out that are like you know side quest cards and you know just uh, uh, you know like little things that you can just like when you're at when you're at a loss like what do you do like you flip this card and it tells you like oh this thing happens and this gives the player something to do while you start to think about like how you're going to take it and deal with. Um, you know, like maybe you need a. A, a low impact encounter to let the the characters do some cool stuff while you think about like the next step because they suddenly dropped some bomb on you like you know it's almost like you're you're creating your own little stack of encounter cards and it's all character and theme based there's another big question that comes up in that early discussion and that is um maybe under discussed and it's to party or not to party specifically you know are you a group that already knows each other and already has motivation to stick together or whatever and and uh then you know you will figure out what the backstory is through play or something like that or do you start everybody off separate and then see how they all meet and then or it, you know you can even do sort of the urban fantasy thing where sometimes the characters will never meet they will all have their own individual stories. We'll see them in parallel. Obviously, we have the themes to unite them. Of course, the temptation to make them mate is really, really strong. But some of the time, uh, it doesn't make sense for whatever arc. And so you, of course, frame things cinematically as if you're all in sort of a parallel edited movie. But nobody uh, quite ever meets or or you're interacting with similar characters in, in parallel. So these are all campaign possibilities. And to some degree... I think discussing them in advance helps a little bit to say, think like, um, are we all just a group and we don't need to explain that or do we need to explain it or are we not even a group at all? I, I've played in both kinds of campaigns. I've never played one where all the characters are separate the entire time, but um, the I can see it working. The, the nice thing about meeting like for like your session one, everyone's like getting the gang together. First of all, that's really fun to do. It's like a nice trope that I really enjoy. And it also lets you start developing your character more on the fly. You feel more comfortable like making something up about yourself as you're role playing. 
Um, whereas if you already know each other, it almost it can feel sometimes you have to like be really encouraging as a GM to like, yes, you engage. Like it's okay to make some stuff up. We can yes and or we can no but like all those things are fine. And it also takes a little bit more discussion like beforehand because you can feel like, oh, I don't I I should know this about your character, but I don't really, but my character would know. So like that's that's the that's the the difficult part about already starting as a party who already knows each other but the easy the nice part about that is that you as the gm like you can have a group motivation from the get-go they already care about each other they already know each other we don't need to worry about that we can just go right into the action i personally enjoy more the we're all gonna we're all gonna learn about each other right now i've had some really fun character moments with that where um i was i was playing this game and we were we invited a new player in we had already learned all about each other throughout our campaigns we invite this new player in and we were running like a almost like a private eye shop and she came in for our consultation we later found out she was lying to us she came up with another story we're like oh this must have been her background like she was lying to like backstab us or something and then we found out that second story was also a lie that the character (laughs) was telling it was the most fun moment she told it with such a straight face it was amazing we had no clue if this was real or not and it was really fun just discovering, like, we had a whole, like, three sessions of us just trying to get down to the bottom of who is this new girl? Like, we we as players know she's going to join our party, but we as characters are like, okay, hold on. <laughs> lie to us about, like, she, three different things. She Heath Ledger jokered you. Yeah, it was so good. Like, yes. Joker describes how he got his scars, like, every time he tells a different lie. Yeah, it was so fun. Like one of the one of the things that she eventually like one of the lies she told us was like, okay, okay, I wasn't this. Well, I was a farmer, and our our family like we we had a golden like literally a golden goose story. Told us a golden goose story, and we believed it. We we're like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a magical world. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was so funny. And that, that that's a direct example of your characters that express the themes, right? The, the theme is deception. Or, or is this world real, right? And and it is explored by, you know, the classic character introduction trope being subverted by by your, you know, by by a fiction within a fiction, a lie, as it were. And 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 that um, it's incredibly generative, right? You know, on 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 the um, I, I guess the one the one example I really wanted to bring up during this this particular podcast was a session zero where. A, uh, a this is unknown armies. So um, a player who is playing an escaped convict said, "I uh, I am working for the enemy. I will betray you all by the end of the campaign." And that that w- it was it was it was flat out stated. It wasn't even any lies. And and everybody nodded yes. They said yes. We're going to do that. And so what did they did? They trusted this guy. They were like, "We're going to give him all the responsibilities. We're just going to make hit make him an absolutely load bearing member of our organization." So when he does betray us, it's gonna suck, <laughs> and that that uh, that that worked out perfectly. Actually, it, of course, the the campaign uh, ended in a you know Tarantino style like you know stairwell shootout standoff <laughs> thing, and it was it was glorious, and it really it it, it came down to kind of that. Um, breaking bad moment where like the spiral all led to him and then finally he's like yep sorry i've been really just selling you down the river the whole time which was absolutely no surprise to the players because they all agreed on on it to it but it was extremely intense because of the degree to which they then made him central to all of their health and well-being 
and with him, you know, having also been kind of the villain the entire time. So you can do that, actually. And and even though you're you're dealing with dramatic irony there, where your players know something different than your characters, it can be extremely fun. Oh, it's so fun. And two, you can also do the thing that I said as a GM. You might be like, okay, well, is this character actually going to make this choice in the end? Maybe I can start making them feel bad about it. Maybe I can present them with some options. Maybe after the betrayal, they feel bad about it. Like, maybe that's not the end of the campaign. There's lots of stuff you could still do that's still surprising to everyone at the table. Yeah, and there are a lot of, you know, just there are a lot of different types of stories, movies, TV shows, comics, so forth, you know, novels that we watch or read that that do exactly that. Like, you mm-hmm. You may not know the books, uh, the Lord of the Rings, but you watch the start watching the Lord of the Rings. And you know, it's like okay, at some point they're going to stop Sauron. It's going to happen. Like this is a, this is an epic heroic fantasy. We know it's coming. There will be there will be no surprise in the idea that Sauron is defeated. It's a question of how it happens. So you're sitting there the whole time watching and just like, okay, what's what's actually going to happen that's going to cause this to happen? And so like for those people who get to the end and don't know the books and they're like, oh, and then like Frodo gets all the way to the precipice and then decides like now he's going to fall over the edge and like go a little dark and it has to be this other thing that happens and Sam plays into it and Gollum plays into it like and so the, the 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 end becomes the surprise you know like pet cemetery as a book and as a movie is the same way like you know the kid's gonna get hit by the car or you know hit by a truck or a car out on the road like that's it's very clearly telegraphed to you early in the story it's a question of when it's going to happen and then what's going to come of it and so you you know when we play role-playing games like absolutely as a player and the gm gm can tell the people too be like you can be in session zero and as a GM and say, okay, well, this is going to happen at some point. And just let the players like have that tension and, and let them, because it becomes an experience of trying to guess when it's going to happen and start to think about when. So they'll, they'll play their characters ignorant. Like the characters don't necessarily know something's coming, but the, you know, the players can be kind of wondering and then it can be a fun surprise when it happens and they didn't see it coming or it can be the, ha ha. That's what I predicted moment that people love having too. Yeah, people are really willing to play in a space where they already know what the beats of the story are. They're way more willing to do that than we often think of as GMs. I feel like the pendulum swung so far, like from like, we don't want to railroad our players into a plot to like, well, let's just let them do whatever and it'll still work out. It doesn't really work out that way, especially if you're trying to have a long campaign that feels cohesive. Like you have to have some planning, you have to have some forethought. But I mean, again, like like Craig said, there are things that happen in movies like this that we still like there's the record scratch. I bet you're wondering how we got here at the beginning <laughs> of movies that people like. I just saw someone talking about how they were starting a campaign or they had a campaign idea where all the players it starts off with a scene where they're all dead. And then the whole campaign is them getting to where how they're dead. Like people want to try this stuff. That that's of course Sunset Boulevard, right? It opens with with I'm dead in the pool, but I wonder <laughs> maybe that, maybe you want to know how that? I got yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, and and that and 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 the, again, you know, player contract. Again, we were talking about the social contract earlier. The player contract can produce any fiction you all agree to. So think about that. You can agree to a lot in that moment. And and I think the main thing is then, uh, you know, checking in later on. But this is this is about starting and not not uh, the middle. So the middle, of course, is really about communication, listening, trying to balance between different parts. Or if if if, if one player is getting all the spotlight, then the others at least consent to that or or have kind of a schedule on that front. But 
but in the beginning, you can all be very optimistic being like, we're going to try this experimental new thing. And of course, the experimental new thing requires trust. Uh, you really have to say, okay, if we're all dead and, and telling that story, um, then, then, you know, I have to feel like the, you know, the, the kind of character I'm selling uh, is going to be, you're going to seem invincible and then and then something's going to get them right it, uh, they've got an achilles heel they've got something and 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 to some degree you're going to be playing to find out what it is what the weaknesses of that character that gets them in the end you know rather rather than like well you ran out of hit points sorry um that that that, <laughs> that, that, that would be the anti-climax of that campaign you ran out of hit points sorry but uh but at the same time then then you know you're playing for this different kind of um beat structure than normally and it takes a, a certain degree of trust among the players for you to all agree that that's that's how you're going to play. I think it also gives the characters moments in the in the game where they they can say, "Well, after this is all done, we're going to move to a farm. We're going to live together forever." Like you can have all these emotional moments. I love that, and you can't really get that emotional unless you know that you're going to have like a certain kind of ending. Um, I think one of the one of the things you have to do when you're plotting your campaign is start generating those ideas too and really thinking about how you can subvert plots. I think that requires a really good jam to be a prolific consumer of different types of media, particularly in the, in the genre or within the thematic links that you want to present at the table. So if you're doing a, a noir gangsters movie, you gotta, you gotta know the tropes. Because if you don't know the tropes, you can't give them those satisfying beats. And if you don't know the tropes, you don't know how to subvert them in a satisfying way. Like, those are all really important. And then hopefully the players also know them, but I don't think it's as necessary for them. It might actually be more fun if they don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? It can go either way. I think that if the players don't really know the tropes too too well, like you can play to the tropes and just use those as a great resource, um, and you know subvert something every now and then. But if you've got a, if you're playing a, like as I just said, like a noir game that and everybody at the group, everybody at the table, like they know their noir movies inside and out. They've all read you know uh, uh, hard boiled detective novels. Like you're going to, if you want to surprise them, you're going to have to flip some stuff every so often. You're going to need to have something that they're not expecting because all you got to do is just do that a few times. And now they don't know what to expect necessarily. They don't, they can't necessarily rely on the tropes perfectly. If you just flip a few um, and then you can still use the trope. A lot of the tropes just kind of straight up the way they are, because the players are going to wonder, Hmm, is that really like that? And this makes me think of something too, is like, we're getting into a lot of literary terminology and everything, but I love the unreliable narrator, which uh, for, for, for those not aware, it's, you know, if you're reading a book and you're being told one thing by the author um, and then it proves to be untrue that the, the, the situation is completely different because the narrator, whoever it is that's kind of communicating the story to you is inherently unreliable for some reason. You can do that as a GM in the right situations. I've done it in a campaign many years ago where the care, everybody decided we, they wanted to play like a game where they all started kind of in the, the small town and they wanted to play like the small town here, you know, small town folk become heroes in the larger world. So we all started in little, little, little town and everybody knew each other. And we played that version of the character relationship. And then we did flashbacks to kind of where they decided how they met and everything played out those little scenes. But I, you know, but it was in a homespun world. And so I just started describing things that were going on in the world, things that were, uh, you know, truths of the world. And half of them were lies. 
Half of them were things that, or became lies. Like I later decided, no, it's actually like this because they're living in this little cloistered community where rumor and story and, um, and hearsay and, uh, like they don't really know what's going on out there. They're not getting a newspaper or an internet feed that's telling anybody, you know, in the town what the rest of the world is like. They're just hearing things third and fourth hand. And so then when they got out into the greater world, I was able to surprise them. And I was doing this kind of on purpose too, because it was a group, I was relatively new to running games, relatively new to gaming. And it was a group of people that were all more experienced with me. And it was a D&D game. Um, and so multiple people knew the DMG and the monster manual inside and out. So I was rewriting monsters all the time. I was saying, you know, I was like skinning stuff into other stuff and tweaking monsters so that they wouldn't be what they were expecting because I had this group of people that are like, I'm just going to keep throwing stuff at them. They like, oh, they know how to defeat this thing because they just, they recognize the description because they've read the monster manual three times. So like I, I played with the idea that they don't know anything. The players don't know anything about what I'm going to throw at them and the characters don't know anything until they go out and actually experience it. I, I think I, I'm going to seize on a couple of points there. One with unreliable narration, especially if you're a game master and now you've gotten a bunch of data from session zero and you're coming up with stuff, your factions all have a worldview, right? So when people tell, when NPCs are telling characters things, they are telling them from their own worldview, which may be a lie, but true to that, that character. So, you know, I've concocted whole mysteries being like, well, it depends on who you talk to. They're going <laughs> to shape what how you view this situation. In fact, it's good to actually deal with kind of like a clear cut situation, like someone killed somebody and 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 then there were some other people involved and you, and you start from there and then everybody Rashomon style like looks at that and has their different viewpoint. And depending on who the characters talk to, they're going to to shape that and and um and then of course um when when characters talk there's going to be a reaction from that matrix right people people aren't just going to be like oh they're talking they must be a completely disinterested party that doesn't care you know if you talk to the wrong people then you might have suddenly gotten a certain type of attention on your characters the second point i wanted to raise is is that you don't actually have to have all the players on the same page, actually. Uh, from LARP, we have a term called herd competence, which is if you've got a large body of folks who already know what to do, then the people who don't know what to do will already take cues and, and go up from there. I'm thinking about when I started role-playing when I was 10, and like I had to pretend that I knew Western tropes when I was playing with like, you know, 20, 30-year-olds at, at conventions. I was a weird kid, but uh, you know, that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, weren't it, we all it, 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 it was it was it was definitely a, a, a situation where I had to kind of pretend when I was younger like oh yeah I know the same stuff no, I hadn't seen shit like right you know so 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 you know why why was I pretending and how was I then able to become competent in this well I had a number of people who already knew what was going on and they were enthusiastic about it and they were modeling it for me and I got all the cues from them so there is actually a way that that your fellow players in a campaign can show the ropes to the others and kind of model for for the other uh, folks who maybe aren't as clued in on the thing. And, you know, so so of course, you want to give give basic handholds for those who don't know the, the genre as well. But, you know, the other players, if they're good, they will be showing implicitly and explicitly how to grab those handholds 
um you know a perfect example of course is cyberpunk uh uh fiction where you you know you'll probably have a wild artificial intelligence that goes out of control right and that is it's a classic trope but if i run it with like a 10 or 11 year old then you know and this has happened to me where where then they want to play the ai right they they actually are like this is a direct expression of who i am and uh and i just hand that character to them i'm like now you're the you're the bad guy make decisions and um and 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 so they may not know all the cyberpunk tropes but they know the one thing and they can play into that and now they've just abandoned their character to play a villain because that's fun for them um and and you know you can you can literally sort of i think use the relative difference in experience at the table um as a tool to craft your campaign i'm I'm surprised that we haven't talked about villains yet up until this point, too, because you just talked about a player becoming a villain. But typically, we are also creating villains at the start of a new campaign and deciding, like, where does an antagonist fit within this story? Like, there are some campaigns where the antagonist is not a person, but there's going to be, like, people that you're going to come into conflict with. But most of my role-playing games have a person or people that the the pcs are up against in one way or another and first you gotta figure out how they fit in with the themes and then you also have to figure out their motivations and why they're doing what they do i mean sure you could just do like this you know sauron's the evil bad guy and he wants a lot of power like that's totally it but his motivation is still like well i want power and i want control over 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 everything you can't just be like ah i'm, I'm evil like why because otherwise why are you here and I, I think like the best villains do come out of like a player deciding like, like, oh, I'm going to be the one who portrays you at the end. Like, that's great. You don't even have to worry about the motivation at that point. You just set some stuff up or like this character wants to join the bad guys at this point. Like we can make that happen. Like those are, there are lots of stuff you can do with that. But I always like to have a mini antagonist within the first arc who's like small beans, but is also very, very likable. So this mini antagonist can become an NPC that I get to use later because I'm going to make them super cool. I'm going to make the characters really care about them. I'm going to make the characters really kind of hate them, but also love them at the same time. And they're going to be there from the beginning until the very end, unless something bad happens to them. So you always have somebody who's like, can cause, can be there to cause some trouble, to backstab them, to do whatever. Like I always have this person in my pocket. And then I have like way down the distance, you're not even there yet. Like they don't even know about you. This is the other, like, you want to stop this person. Uh, and giving them, like, like little steps, little scaffolds along the way to lead up to, like, a climactic event um, also helps you. It prevents you from accidentally ending your campaign too soon because they killed the big bad evil guy in round three. Uh, <laughs> you don't don't let them get there first. They will they will somehow manage to smash a building down on this person's head and there's no way around that in a lot of cases. But if you give them steps, like you have to do this before you can do this, before you can do this, and planning those steps out ahead of time gives you a ladder for them to climb and also gives you a nice a nice little pacing guide. Like here are the obstacles, here are the people before you can even look in this guy's direction. And it gives them wins along the way. Right. Or lower losses. Yeah. Losses that might not devastate them entirely. It's not the bad guy winning completely. It's, well, yeah, you lost to this asshole. And now, yeah, <laughs> now it, it you, either, you it, e on. 
Right. It either it either gives them wins, which is woohoo, or you know things go poorly and it ups the stakes because now it's like an extra revenge thing, or you're trying to, you know, to write, you know, to make right what you screwed up or you know what happened poorly or went went, went sideways for you, um, you know. Yeah, I, I really like the trope of like, okay, um, we're we're making the campaign, and now there's a really obvious like mini boss, sub boss, like direct boss that you're gonna have to confront. And what the players do with that mini boss or sub boss is an expression of who they are, right? And and that means frequently this becomes a friend or an anti-hero like companion or you know a, a, that 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 old that old sub boss that is now retired that they sometimes bring out. Like there's so many cool things you can do with a former enemy to then go on after the real enemy and and to some degree you can even build that that enemy right there in the session zero where you'd be like okay so someone one of these characters is good at fighting so i'm going to make them good at fighting and this this this, this is a um uh, a character who likes to psych people out so this this character can also do mind games but like differently and so you basically they're like a foil for for all the other uh, characters but beatable right and then they, they overcome them and you have to say well how do the characters change for having overcome them and then also like what do they do with them and if they straight up kill them uh that's another expression of what they are like and uh you know i i don't know what to say in those circumstances but i can also say it's never happened in any camp i run campaigns like this you know with this kind of trope for for decades and and they've never wound up killing the sub boss be like, okay, that way they, they can't go after us anymore. No, no, it's, it's, it's like, you know, when I give them that, that moment, then, then actually the campaign develops and becomes more interesting. Well, and then even if they do kill them though, they're replaceable. Like that's the purpose of this character. They can be replaced. They, they, they aren't necessarily a support pillar of the entire campaign. Like one of my favorite NPCs I ever had was just like, it was just like a, a thievy little rogue that kept like it started off like she stole something from one of the characters. They threw her in jail. She escaped. She came back later to like mess some other stuff up. They already knew this person. They're like, I don't like you. Stop this. And then this kept going. And anytime I needed to like, oh, they, they're about to solve this problem, but we're only like 30 minutes into this session. <laughs> well, guess who's coming back? Guess who's coming back right now? It's your old friend who's going to start some trouble. And sometimes they were friends. Like sometimes we have the same, we have the same goal. We both want this. We both want this artifact. We want this thing to stop happening. And you work together with this person and then you, you're like ready to end that session early. No, no, no. They are going to now take this thing from you. They had other motivations too. And now you can keep, you can keep bringing them in as a GM tool. Um, this is the, they do this in um, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. There's this, um, there are these enemies called the Yiga clan and they're just like dopes. They're like silly little bad guys that you can easily defeat, but their main, their main boss is like the leader character you don't actually ever have to beat them all in order to win the first game and then they come back sorry for the slight spoilers they come back in the second um the second game with a little bit more tie-in to the main plot and i thought it was like a really fun way to bring back these like ah, these guys again like i have to keep dealing with them like they keep popping up and i can i can beat them and they have like a silly little story uh but they're not they're not ganon they're not ganondorf or ganon um they're just little stepping stones to keep things interesting for me. So, so the the beginning of the campaign is all about seeding this sort of thing, right? To basically say this is this is uh, 
hmm, this is going to provide fruit for for many many months if not years of play and and um i guess the 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 last question i have for today is have you ever gotten ready to run a campaign and set everything up and then it didn't happen oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I have so many. I found a notebook recently of a whole bunch of like I made it like my first year in college. I was like, "There's maps in here and like character ideas and like have all this stuff." I'm like, I don't even think we played a single session of this. I don't remember playing this. <laughs> I, I I just want to actually champion that form of play. I think actually, you know, half the play is the creation, and the other half is then the play. And so, you know, I I you know look back at those less um less like failures and more like oh you know we were working through some stuff and here 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 is something i i came up with for a campaign that never happened and i used basically the same character seven years later in a campaign that did happen and of course like it was completely different genre but i had i had the character sketched out and now i have it again so there 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 is even i'm going to say some fruit that is born by a campaign that you almost ran and <laughs> didn't actually didn't actually happen I, and, and again i always i always know this now from from years of having done this and and just you know you get to the scheduling done and everybody's enthusiastic and then someone loses a family member or, or whatever and then in the campaign fizzles you really need everybody it's a fragile construction so you just have to um accept what you've already done as as you know what it is it's it's still more satisfying than when your favorite tv show gets canceled because at least <laughs> like you kind of knew what was going to happen yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i think i think you feel so helpless when your favorite tv show uh, is canceled whereas you have lots of agency over your your, your defunct campaign it makes me think of um something i saw in an interview with brian cranston where he talks about how he stopped hating auditioning which is kind of what you know the audition is to the actor it's like it's the thing before you get to actually play the role before you get to do the thing and a lot of people look at it as like well i have i have to do this thing in order to be able to do the thing i really want to do and he started looking at auditioning as like when i go to do the audition it's its own thing this is me doing my craft this is me acting this is me preparing this character getting ready putting it out in front of people this one time or even if it's callbacks, there's multiple times and I'm just going to let that be its thing. Um, and if it never becomes, you know, me in the role and I never get to play the character long term in a series or get to do a movie or whatever, then I don't feel like I've wasted my time. And I, I'm not saying you should go into a session zero thinking, well, this is probably not never going to go anywhere. But you can have that attitude about the session zero and the prep of a campaign can be its own reward, um, even if the campaign never happens or if it runs very, very short you know, shorter than you really wanted it to. And maybe you didn't get to kind of get to all the stuff you wanted to get to because everything kind of petered out at some point, like you can still enjoy the fact that you had all this creative energy, um, whether it was part of the session zero with the other players or whether it was just the time that you spent creating things and, and brainstorming ideas and, and learning more about being a GM and finding little things that you can set aside and you can reuse or get a chance to use later because you never got a chance to use them this time around. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of the show today. Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure as always. Uh, where can we find you and your stuff and learn more about you? Gosh, what happened to our social media? You can find me at guy in the black hat at you know blue sky dot social right the 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 place where now are 
And I would also, uh, we just came to the end of this year's Golden Cobra Challenge, but if you ever see the Golden Cobra Challenge announced, please do uh, try and submit a game. And also analoggamestudies.org is where you can find a lot of my scholarship. Um, you can find me on various social medias at, at Joska um, or on TikTok at Just is Awful. You can also find my Kickstarter for the coven of PS13. Uh, it is already funded. Woohoo! Yay! It was a very small campaign, but I'm still very happy about it. Uh, and you can still support it and get a physical copy of the game if you find the Coven of PS13 uh, on Kickstarter. It's under Wannabe Games, and you can also find me at wannabegames.com. And you can find me at Nerdburger Craig on the various social medias. Um, my website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are available at drivethroughrpg.com. Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs, and thank all of you for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.